6.30 Chad Afternoons with Jalen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 6.30 Chad. For weeks, there's been a lot, uh, a lot of focus, so much focus on getting Canadians out of Afghanistan and getting those Afghans who who worked with Canadian forces to a safe country. While the attention certainly has shifted over the past, uh, well, couple of weeks, it certainly doesn't mean the work has stopped. And while many think the rescue operations are happening in other countries, in other provinces even, you may be surprised to know that it's happening right here in the capital region. Our next guest is a retired warrant officer with the 1st Battalion, Princess Patricia's Canadian Light Infantry. And he, so far, has managed to get more than 80 Afghans to safety working from his office in the basement of his house in Morinville. John Felton, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jalen. I appreciate you having me. I'm, uh, you know, I'm fascinated with this story, and I think it's a really important one that we keep uh, a spotlight on, uh, certainly in the coming weeks and months ahead. Now, all of your involvement with trying to get people out of Afghanistan started with um, some worry about the interpreter that you worked with when you were in Afghanistan. Um, then you tell me that you got angry. Can you can you expand on what happened? Yeah, so, I mean, essentially how I got involved uh, was uh, through the interpreter uh, that I, um, you know, I thought about uh, back when I was in Afghanistan in 2006. Uh, The interpreters uh, essentially uh, provide a great resource for us to do our job uh, extremely extremely effectively. Uh, I built a relationship with this uh, one individual um, over over a long period of time, uh, you know, a few months for sure. And uh, I sat back one day after watching everything that was going on and I thought about him and I tried to reach out to him. But uh, it turns out uh, actually at that time that everybody loved this guy and uh, they were all trying to find him. So I just went, okay, perfect. Everybody's uh, looking for him. I'm just going to leave him be. One day I'll touch base with him. We'll shake hands and uh, we'll we'll, uh, talk about good times again. But then I got a bit angry about the situation itself and, uh, you know, I had a bit upset for the Afghanistan, uh, you know, the, the, the whole context, everything that was going on. Uh, I quickly put that anger aside and I started putting it into action and I thought, how can I get involved and how can I help here? So I started putting some, uh, you know, general, uh, you know, feels out on Facebook and stuff like that. And a friend of mine sent me two family names. Uh, mm-hmm. He said he didn't want to get involved, uh, you know, from the emotional standpoint. And I said, well, I think I can take them on. So let's uh, let's send me all their information and uh, I'll run with it. So uh, this this these two individuals, these families actually worked for a security contracting company uh, that was hired uh, to secure uh, Canadian uh, Ford operating bases in southern Afghanistan, I think, from somewhere around 2009 to about 2011 when all that was handed over to the U.S. government uh, after the combat operation stuff was done. Uh, but that, those two families essentially evolved into about 10 families because when you reach out to one, mm-hmm. they're like a network and uh, they start communicating with you and then all of a sudden you have like, you know, 10, 15, 20. Then you have a list of about, you know, 100, 150 names. So, so John... So I'm, I took I'm, all these names. 
Yep. Yeah, so, so I'm curious to know how it goes from, uh, you know, some names getting passed to you on Facebook to to actually being able to get them to safety. You know, what goes into that? I mean, who makes up this team, whatever you can tell me, of, of people who are, you know, here in Alberta, in Canada, in Afghanistan that are working to get these people to safety successfully? So essentially, um, I personally, uh, from my own standpoint, I never worked with a team. I, I worked uh, at this by myself, uh, you know, most for the most part sitting in my basement. Uh, just started uh, running through things, calling Immigrations Canada, calling, you know, different contacts that I had and stuff like that. And I linked up with an old uh, supervisor of mine that I worked with for years. Uh, for the last couple of years, I was in the Army, and uh, we developed, uh, I would like to think, into a great friendship. And uh, we started talking and stuff like that, and I started getting info- more information on how to get these people to safety. Well, at, this, at that point in time, there wasn't really much going on other than talk of the Taliban taking Kabul and stuff like that. But nobody knew this was going to happen as fast as it did. So at that time, there was really no need to get them to safety. Most of these people were at home in their houses. I was helping them with paperwork. We were talking. They were giving me information on, you know, what was happening on the ground and how fast the Taliban were moving on the ground and, and stuff like this. There were a few families that I actually said, I think you might want to move from Kandahar mm-hmm. and move up to uh, Kabul, like, extremely quickly uh, because Kandahar was obviously the first uh, point uh, of, uh, you know, attack for the Taliban, and uh, they went in there, so... And they did that. They moved up and they uh, went into hotels. And I'll be honest with you, I lost contact with those two individuals, uh, families that I told to do that. So uh, I haven't heard from them to this day. I hope that they're safe. I hope they got out of the country. Uh, but that's where the, the family started dying off. Uh, I wouldn't say the word dying off, but uh, started falling off my list. Mm. Uh, and then it went down to eight, and then it went down to seven, six, five, and then uh, I was stuck with about seven families uh, for the good majority of time uh, that were in Kabul. And uh, around the 15th uh, of August, uh, when the Taliban rolled into uh, Kabul, is when start, stuff started getting really tricky. And uh, essentially when it started getting tricky is when I was just hitting roadblock after roadblock and mm. after roadblock with the Canadian side of it. Uh, I was shoved off by Immigrations Canada. They weren't even answering their phones at that point. If I got a, if I got somebody on the phone, they were simply saying, uh, you just need to get them to throw in, in the forms, which are extremely complex. It wasn't the time to do this. It was a start. It was time for people to stop talking mm-hmm. and start putting it into action. So, you know, after hitting all the roadblocks, I started thinking outside the box going, how can I get these people out of country? And uh, that's when I found each person and each family that I was representing had what I like to call a U.S. nexus, where I could tie them to uh, being an interpreter with the U.S. Uh, you know, uh, forces on the ground in Afghanistan past when Canada had left. Wow. Uh, and then it was easy to go from there uh, to some certain extent, but uh, that's how I ended up uh, getting, you know, people to that point. So in total, though, I think uh, you've ended up helping uh, about 82 people representing about six families. What can you tell us about those families? They're just everyday people. Like uh, one thing we don't understand here in Canada for the most part is culture. And, uh, you know, when you have a man, uh, in Afghanistan, uh, he is that man is the head of the family. He looks after his mom, his dad. If he has younger brothers, he looks after them, his sisters, 
his aunt and uncles, uh, brother and sister-in-laws that may have married into the family. Like uh, some of these families, like one family that I helped in particular was 19 people. Wow. Wow. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, that number multiplies when you have six family it it, it equates to about 80 people uh you know one of those families is just one individual yeah so uh, so john i'm curious then so to, to get these families get them to move did they get out through um the airport in Kabul? did they go across the country can you tell us about that so when I talked about thinking outside the box and uh, I started networking with different organizations and what I was doing was really um, squirming my way into different organizations and different groups and I ended up making contact uh, with somebody who had uh, close contacts with the U.S. State Department and uh, we started helping them, uh, these individuals apply for uh, uh, special visas through the U.S. State Department program. Uh, or they were doing like a, what they call a P2 referral uh, if they didn't have the prerequisite amount of time. And they were coming back, uh, not, 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 not necessarily approved as visas, but uh, as uh, what they call SID applicants, which puts them on a list to be retrieved and mm-hmm. sent out of the country. So I didn't ask any questions. Uh, I just <laughs> got a call one day simply saying, uh, you know, I have I have a list of names uh, with people that you have on it. Can you give me their location? And I sat back and I, I pondered on this one for about two, three hours, uh, you know, in silence, sitting in my basement here going, I don't feel comfortable giving these people, you know, names, locations, uh, IDs, passport numbers. Like, that just wasn't cool. So uh, I, I eventually just sat back and went, well, this might be the only way forward. This might be the only, this might be the only game play that I have here to get these people moving. And it turns out when I gave them the names, they turned their talk into action Mm -hmm. and they went out into the Kabul city, got them, bring them back to the gates. It wasn't an easy transport. It wasn't an easy uh, ploy to get some of these people into the gates. Um, But essentially it wasn't, you know, they they did fight the crowds uh, from some days, but when the transportation uh, was available to move them to the gates, it was a pretty simple process. John, hold the line for just a moment. It's an amazing story. When we come back, how does it feel to be doing this? I'll ask John that question. We're talking with John Feltham, who is a retired warrant officer. He served with the 1st Battalion, Princess Patricia's Canadian Light Infantry. And from his office in his basement in his home in Mournville has so far managed to get over 80 um, Afghans out of that country he's been working hard and uh he's been you know getting them to the airport and john i have to ask you what is it like what is the emotion like as they head to the airport it must be pins and needles yeah for the most part uh i managed to keep uh, emotion out of this uh, mm-hmm. completely uh but when i handed this list over to this organization which to this day i still don't even know who they are hmm. um Really, it came down to throwing trust into this this group uh, to just with their with these people's lives, and uh, they pulled through. And uh, I was able to get the seven families out. Now, I want to just point out as well: there's still two families that I'm representing that are still there. Uh, we we were we, we I was working at it with this group uh, right up until the last flight, uh, last American flight left uh, Kabul, uh, the airport in Kabul. Is there anything that? 
I mean, you're doing this from your from your basement in in Morinville. I mean, it's 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 amazing what you've been able to uh, accomplish, and uh, must be frustrating as well seeing the you know the bureaucracy and the red tape on the other side of it all. Is there is there anything that the rest of us can do right now? Um. In all honesty, right now, it, uh, the, what needs to be done moving forward really is putting pressure on the government of Canada to act. Um, I feel uh, betrayed by the government here that they just haven't done enough, uh, you know, to, to, to do their part. The biggest piece I have right now that they need to fix is uh, the Immigration Canada, the IRCC, needs to develop a quick way of processing paperwork. Mm -hmm. Some of us on this end have the ability to move people uh, on the ground still in in in, in, in uh, Afghanistan, uh, but I don't want to risk somebody's life uh, moving them without the approved applications and visas that come from Immigration Canada. The paperwork is extremely unfriendly. Uh, they only have access to these files from their cell phones. And in some cases, some of these folks are uh, can't even go outside of their home right now or where they're in hiding uh, because they're being hunted by the Taliban. John, I know that uh, that you're uh, your dad um, and then you have uh, some young girls. How, how has that driven you and your desire to help? That's driven me very hard. Uh, you know, uh, one family that I still have in Afghanistan, he's, a, he's, a, he's an individual uh, who uh, is the head of his family. He's uh, married and he has three daughters. Um, being a, a family man myself, it's extremely important that uh, I want to see, you know, especially these young women and girls um, be able to come to Canada or anywhere for that matter outside of Afghanistan and live a full, complete life. Uh, with education, uh, with the freedom of speech, uh, and everything that we have that we all sometimes take in, as Canadians for granted. 82 people, six families, John. Um, it, it must feel good to say, hey, you know what, I've been able to help. I know that uh, the other families are, are weigh, weighing heavily on you as well right now, but um, you know, it shows what one person can do when they're dedicated to the cause. And uh, I want to thank you for the work that, that you're doing. And I want to thank you for joining me this afternoon and sharing the story. I appreciate it very much. Yes, thank you, Jalen, and uh, thank you for keeping this uh, story going.